I'm Alison Rice and welcome to Offline the Podcast. These are honest conversations about true self with the people behind the Instagram accounts and the teachers who help us on our way. A lot has changed since I launched Offline in September 2018. It started as a podcast and thanks to your ongoing support, it turned into a movement. Today, Offline exists to help us explore the essence of who we are and how to live, create and succeed in alignment with that. This is our true self. There's the podcast, a series of online courses I've created with our collective needs in mind and experiences that allow us to connect as a community. Visit getoffline.co to find out more or follow getoffline.co on Instagram. I hope this episode helps you on your way. Thank you for being here. Dearest you, instead of closing the season with my Ask Me Anything episode like I usually would, I've decided to air it in honour of International Women's Day coming up on March 8. It's a day that exists to celebrate social, economic, cultural and political achievements of women. But in my eyes... It also celebrates the work many of us do each day to support our collective advancement. One of the ways we can advance the women around us is by sharing our knowledge. Once upon a time, I did that through my role as a leader to ambitious young women, and now I share my knowledge through my one-on-one coaching sessions. I understand that not every woman is in the financial position to afford coaching, So this Ask Me Anything episode series is dedicated to those women. All women. I want you to feel empowered and supported. And I want you to remember that informed, kind and compassionate women are unstoppable. I hope I can be a positive role model for you, but also that you hear just how much we have in common. When it comes to achieving social, economic and cultural equality, We're all in it together. At the end of last season, I shared with you that I'm creating something else with our needs in mind. An additional offering that I hope will help you on your way. It's nearly ready. I want to thank you for your ongoing support and encouragement for all that I believe I'm here to give. Thank you also if you submitted a question for this episode. As always, I'm offering my advice and my opinion. I've chosen topics that I believe I have the right experience to answer, but it's still important that you consult the people you trust the most before making any big decisions. Okay, there's double the amount I usually answer, so let's get stuck in. Question one. Relying on my partner financially so that I can get my non-nine-to-five career going. I'm right here with you on this one. Deciding to walk away from a senior salary to create space for my creativity and to do work that had meaning was extremely hard. Um, I've been having this conversation a bit in my coaching sessions lately that being in a partnership where your other half can support the household if you were to leave your job is a privilege. Um, There's just so many women and of course men who don't have that choice. So I think I'd start there. 
by just sitting in that privilege in a really positive way, that helped me sort of reframe my experience from being one of lack and need. And I guess almost maybe a bit of a a victim mentality to one of gratitude. Um, The other thing that might help you is deciding how much money you need each month to be comfortable and then getting your partner to set up a direct debit of that amount each month. Um, I just think that takes away the need to sort of ask for money, which for financially independent and ambitious women like us can feel a bit degrading. So I would remove sort of any opportunity to feel small in the situation. And then I guess my final point is relationships exist in seasons. Like when I met Tony, I was a sub-editor earning, I don't know, maybe 50 grand a year, um, which was a lot to me then. But um, within four years, I think it was, I was the breadwinner in our relationship. And that professional leap of mine enabled him to take 15 months off work and just do freelance jobs when he felt like it. And now I guess the way I see it is he's in season in terms of earning and it will flip back because the support that he's giving me to focus on my business means that I can create something that's going to benefit us in the long term. So yeah, I would definitely take that long-term view. Next question, combining finances with my husband, I grew up with a father who would financially and emotionally abuse my mother and my siblings and I. Um, I didn't realise it would be so hard for me to trust and combine my money without feeling like I'm letting go of my own independence and security. Um, I want to be delicate with this one because I don't have enough context and I also don't know the quality of your relationship. Like, are you seeing flickers of your dad in his behaviour or is this more about protecting yourself just in case? Um, My advice here is if you don't feel comfortable combining your money without feeling like you're letting go of your independence, then don't. I think, you know, maybe there might be some self-work for you to do in separating your marriage from your parents' marriage. Um, But I know many couples who don't combine their finances and it isn't about a lack of trust. It's just about a preference to maintain independence. I think if you can have an honest conversation with him about what's coming up for you around this topic and why, then hopefully he'll see that it isn't actually about him. It's about perhaps what was modelled for you. And then if helpful, when I was earning a full-time salary, Tony and I contributed the same amount each month into savings. We split the bills in half and then what we had left was ours to do with whatever we wanted, which is how I got all those bloody shoes. (laughs) Um, Next question. Do you think tertiary study is something you have to grin and bear to get ahead? Or do you think you can still achieve your goals through commitment to hard work and applying yourself in the real world? Um, I think for this one, it depends on the industry. There's some professions that require a degree before you can even get an entry-level role, but perhaps for the more creative jobs, I don't think you need a degree, but what I do think you need is a leader, so someone who understands that their role is to guide you, you know, and give you feedback and spend time with you one-on-one so you can learn 
So, yeah, and then I guess you'd also ideally join a business that's well-resourced and focused on developing and up-leveling staff. One thing I did really value from my time studying was the rigour around deadlines and producing good work within limited timeframes. I think ultimately it made me a better journalist. Um, But I also think there's more progressive ways to learn these days. Um, So that's worth thinking about, studying online being one and short courses by industry leaders being another. And then if I think back to when I was recruiting I don't think I ever asked a candidate if they went to uni, which I don't know if that's bad or not now. Um, But really all I wanted to see was their writing and their ideas, Um, perhaps if they could use data to inform their decisions and if they had that sort of innate ability to tap into, I guess, like collective consciousness and bring forward entertaining and inspiring stories. So I hope that's helpful. Next question. When friendships become distant or there's conflict, how do you know who to work hard for and who to let go of? Also, friendships past 30, they feel surface and like we're just ticking a box. I did actually combine those two questions because for me, they kind of signaled the same thing. And that is that it's time to evolve. I think friendships can endure hardship but it shouldn't feel like work to get through it like it will feel uncomfortable at times and I think this is a good thing because when we're uncomfortable we're evolving but if you're left wondering if you even want to save the friendship then that's a signal for me that it may have run its course like everyone is relevant in your life until they're not and I don't believe Moving on from friendships means that you don't care or that, you know, the time you spent together was a waste necessarily. I remember a teacher of mine once said that we have a tendency to forget what was beautiful about a relationship when it's over. It was useful and relevant to us at the time. And just because it's coming to an end, it doesn't mean that the time you had together wasn't meaningful. And then um, I guess I would ask yourself, What value does this person bring to my life? How do they help me become a better and more expressed version of myself? And then on the whole, how do they make me feel? And that might help you figure out if it's time to sort of dig in or if it's time to let go. And then to the end part of the question, which was about catching up with longtime friends feeling like you're ticking a box... If you don't feel like there's enough vulnerability or raw honesty, I guess, for where you're at personally, then I think the same advice applies. Like my preference with friendships is fewer and deeper. And you want to be able to bring all of your like most unprocessed stuff to the table and feel held and I guess supported. So yeah, I mean, I have six close girlfriends who I can be really vulnerable with And interestingly, they don't actually know each other, which I quite like. Okay, next question. I'm going to get a bit passionate about this one. I'm stuck between taking a new job or starting a family. So this has been my story for the past, I don't know, five years. And honestly, I feel like I'm through it, but only recently. I want to start by saying I'm sorry. 
Like, I'm sorry that in this day and age, we still feel like we have to choose, that workplaces and leadership teams have not evolved to meet, I guess, the needs of smart and capable, ambitious women. And like, why do we peak professionally at the same time our eggs mature? (laughs) Like, it seems deeply unfair. And then also like, if that is the case, which it is, why hasn't the system evolved to support that? Like, why do we still miss out or sort of pass up opportunities because we're either having a child or we want to have a child? So, yeah, I guess for me, it begs a bit of a reframe of your your statement or your challenge. You're not stuck, you know, between taking a new job or starting a family. The workplace at large is stuck in a time warp that supports patriarchal ideas and professional structures I mean, discuss it with the people you trust, but if it were me, I'd take the job and then I'd immediately start trying for a baby. When you do fall pregnant, you have 10 months inside that business to do your good work and then you take your mat leave. And by the way, all of your mat leave if you want to. Employers are legally required to hold your role. And, you know, it's sad, but if you get made redundant on maternity leave or your job changes on return. You know, the first thing I do is seek legal advice on that. But ultimately the system isn't set up to support us, so I wouldn't sacrifice my desire to start a family for a system that isn't progressive enough to meet my basic fucking human needs. So that's what I think about that. (laughs) Next question. How do I deal with a toxic co-worker with narcissistic tendencies that negatively impacts the team? How lovely. Um, Look, I'll start by saying this is a rite of passage. (laughs) I know you're not going to like that, but we need to immediately see this as a gift. Um, It's hard, but people like that, I think, are here to help us learn a lesson and evolve. So your frequency in this, I guess, situation is really important. Energetically, their frequency is very low. I would say almost mute, Um, absolutely no empathy, no self-awareness, and in most cases, really what they are is extremely traumatised. I think it's important to note that, like, narcissism is actually a mental disorder. So in that lens, I guess, or through that lens, they're unwell. So I'm going to ask you to do something, and that is have mercy. Like, think of that person lovingly. Seek to lead them to higher ground in all necessary interactions, and then that's it. You take your awareness off them entirely. And the thing about awareness is your awareness is your flow of consciousness. And what we need to do in situations like this is turn off that tap. Like, ask yourself if your expectation of this person is too high for their current state of consciousness, because it is. And then also we can't control someone else's evolution. We can only focus on our own. I've had a few of those. <laughs> they can be pretty gnarly, but um, I will say they're the professional relationships I've learned the most from. Next question. Letting go and giving in to what will be, will be, and that there's things I can't control. Control. The biggest fallacy. Um, Our intellect is so strong 
that it makes us believe that we can control things, but really our desire to control things is a reflection of our lack of trust for, I guess, like creative intelligence or nature or the universe, whatever you want to call it. And our role in, I guess, the evolution of all things, including ourselves. So yeah, my belief is we've chosen the lessons we want to learn in order to increase or elevate our state of consciousness in this lifetime. Um, And by that, I guess I mean becoming a more sophisticated and selfless spirit. But we can learn the lessons in different ways, if that makes sense. So if we get out of the way, very hard, and let nature guide us through, I guess, a fine level of feeling, which we identify as our intuition, then we learn more softly and also faster. It's been my experience that the only way I can get in touch with my intuition is to sit in silence each day. And that, you know, I've spoken about it a bit on the podcast, but meditating helps me, well, it it does allow me to transcend my thinking mind and make contact with the essence of who I am. And that's where all the answers are. So my advice is to consider if meditation might help you surrender more fully. Believing that my work is good enough. Amen. Me too. Um, I'm sharing that with you because people celebrate my work, which I'm very grateful for. But every day I still have trouble truly believing that it's good enough. So um, for this one, what I thought I would do is read you one of my favourite passages from someone I look up to and a lot of people in journalism and specifically radio journalism look up to. And his name is Ira Glass and he's the host of This American Life, kind of like the foundational podcast of podcasts. Um, I read this quote about a decade ago and I've actually... Any desk I've ever sat at, I've printed it out and pinned it to the desk because I'm in a creative, you know, I've always been in creative roles. So it's always helped me sort of remember this perspective. So I'm going to read it to you. It's kind of long, not really, but nobody tells this to people who are beginners. I wish someone told me. All of us who do creative work, we get into it because we have good taste. But there is this gap. For the first couple of years, you make stuff and it's just not that good. It's trying to be good, it has potential, but it's not. But your taste, the thing that got you into the game, is still killer. And your taste is why your work disappoints you. A lot of people never get past this phase. They quit. Most people I know who do interesting, creative work went through years of this. We know our work doesn't have this special thing that we want it to have. We all go through this. And if you're just starting out or you're still in this phase, you got to know it's normal and the most important thing you can do is a lot of work. Put yourself on a deadline so that every week you finish one story. It's only by going through a volume of work that you will close the gap and your work will be as good as your ambitions. And I took longer to figure out how to do this than anyone I've ever met. It's going to take a while. It's normal to take a while. You've just got to fight your way through. How good is that? You can Google it and it comes in cute little design quotes that you can print out and pin to your vision board. (laughs) 
Okay, question number nine. Any advice for someone actively looking for a job after being made redundant? Well, firstly, I'm sorry you got made redundant if you didn't want to be made redundant. Um, I'm not sure how you're feeling about being made redundant, but I want to tell you that it isn't as personal as it might feel. Um, Most redundancies are strategic decisions made at a very high level and relative to the company's long-term objectives and the budget that it has to achieve them. So it's about analysing the roles needed to achieve the objectives versus the people in those roles, if that makes sense. Um, And that's not to say that people aren't important because, of course, we are the foundation of every business. Um, That perspective might not be accurate to your personal experience, but I wanted to share it in case you were feeling like you'd underperformed or, you know, maybe you weren't valued. Um, In terms of advice for looking for a job after being made redundant, it's a wonderful opportunity to self-analyse and define your longer-term, I guess, career direction and goals. I'd be asking myself if I felt fulfilled and excited and challenged in the role I was in or if there's perhaps another sector that my skill set could apply to that would bring some diversity to my CV. That's really important. Um, yeah, and then I guess I would just say like redundancies are extremely common. And so I wouldn't worry about it impacting your chance of getting a new job. Like if you can articulate to a prospective employer why the business made the decisions it made... In my eyes, that shows strategic understanding, professionalism and self-confidence. Question 10. Um, How do I learn about leadership when I don't have good role models at work? Well, my advice here is going to sound a bit um, maybe confronting, but I think my advice would be to let go of what you need other people to be for you and get proactive about finding like a mentor or a coach or accessing free resources that can help you up-level and learn. Like I did have a brilliant CEO in my last role and I just miss working with him so much. But I also read a lot of books and articles on leadership and listened to a lot of podcasts with leaders I admire. And the reason I like listening to leaders I admire is because you can understand how they think about things and how they see the world and also they often share what, what's called like operational excellence. They share what that looks like to them and that's always really fascinating when you're in a leadership role. Um, so, yeah, so I used that knowledge plus my, I guess, my deep understanding of my own strengths and self to formulate my own personal style of leadership. Like I didn't model on anyone inside the business necessarily. I think for a little while I definitely tried to emulate my boss And then I realised that that was a bit lame. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I would say be your own role model and then manage up. Like you can also be a role model for the people who are at the top. And let me tell you, if you think they're leading badly, then they know they're leading badly. So yeah. Question 11. Dealing with difficult staff as a new manager and people who operate from a position of no. Oh, they're fun, aren't they? (laughs) Okay, well, first I would say stepping up as a manager is really challenging. So if it feels hard, that's because it is. I don't think anyone, I certainly didn't, and no one I know has found that easy. Um, My main observation is that you might not have their support. 
Um, so this would really be about understanding why you don't have their support and then getting to work on, I guess, cultivating relationships that are based on respect and more of a solutions mentality. Um, and that's the big thing is, and I know I've said this before, but we don't need our teams to like us. We need them to respect us. And how do we gain their respect? You know, I think we gain their respect by opening up, leading with inclusivity as a mandate, um, showing them what it looks like to collaborate and be solutions focused and getting really consistent with all of that, which can be exhausting in itself. Um, My experience also taught me that operating from a place of, I guess, what I call or what I think of as controlled vulnerability can create more sort of open and supportive working relationships. Because the thing is, like, we as leaders, like we can't ever have all of the answers, but we can lead our teams to that higher ground so that they'll help us find the answers. And this is like literally the reason we employ people is because they're experts at doing what they do. So rightly, our role as a leader is to understand what they need from us in terms of vision and culture and support so that they can deliver results for us, which ultimately means delivering results for the business. I love coaching about leadership. Um, 12, cultural fit of a workplace full of intimidating women with more privileged backgrounds. I'm sorry you're experiencing this. Um, I think the fact that you can acknowledge and articulate it means that you're very self-aware and unfortunately due to their privilege, they're not self-aware. So I hope this isn't too um, challenging to think about Um, and I don't mean it to sort of bypass, you know, the experience you're having, but I do think you have an opportunity to lead here um, and that this could actually be a really positive driver for, I guess, like organisational change. Like in a situation like this, I would always, always defer to your HR representative, um, but that could be part of the problem, right? But you could look at sort of framing this as a challenge um, or sorry, like I guess less as a challenge and more as an opportunity for the business to evolve and potentially attract more diverse talent. Like what might sharing your experience alongside your recommendations look like? And then could you sort of model new behaviours, new and more inclusive culture initiatives maybe, Um, new language, more inclusive language? Could you model that for people around you and perhaps more progressive ways of working together? And then with all of that, like understanding what results that might drive for the business, I think it would be very positive. Um. And then also like when you're in rooms and you feel impacted by their lack of awareness because of their privilege, um, I would probably think about what recommendations you could make in the moment that would sort of create a bridge, not um, not a barrier. Um, and then when it comes to intimidating behaviour, I mean, as always, you probably get the get the idea with me. I think that you could see it through a different lens. I'm all about the reframe. Um, I'd probably ask if they're scared. Um, And then is someone in the business leading them to be competitive? 
with each other internally, which brings on that sort of quite intimidating behaviour. Um, you know, would they value someone as self-aware as you to ask them if they're okay? That's a big one. A lot of the time when people are, you know, being assholes at work, frankly, um, a lot of the time they're not okay, but nobody really thinks to ask them if they need support because it's not the first thing you go to when someone's behaving that way. But I'm a big believer in that. You know, we can always share what we're observing in someone's behaviour and then seek to understand why. And then, like, broadly, I think intimidation is usually fear in disguise. So hopefully that gives you a bit to think about. 13. Letting go of some things to work on the business, not just in the business. Oh, my God, this is me. Um, So here's the thing you already know is we're slowing our businesses down because we can't let go of the detail. Um, Like, I should say, being detail-oriented and... I guess, like operationally excellent is a huge part of building a successful business, but to a point. So like once those finer pieces have been laid down, founders need to move forward and up into that more strategic work. And this is the working on the business, not in the business, as you outlined. Um, I think part of it is having trust and recruiting people who deeply understand your vision you know, maybe them knowing what makes you tick and what's important to you. Um, yeah, I think with this stuff there needs to be, I guess, kind of a a quiet respect for the way things need to be done in order for you to get into that high-level work um, because that will ultimately bring them more opportunities and, you know, let's face it, more money. Um, so that will be my advice. Lay down your systems and processes carefully document how to do everything and communicate your expectations in terms of quality and I guess that thoroughness and then, you know, get to work on business development and and strategy. Next question, how do you speak up about salary and your worth when you're the youngest? Okay, when it comes to getting a pay rise, I believe that we communicate our worth through our results So if you believe you deserve more money, then my advice is to ask your manager for some time um, to discuss the business's objectives for the new financial year, which sounds a bit heavy, (laughs) Um, and then broadly how your role could add more value and help deliver more results against those objectives. So this is how I talk about like an entry conversation and that entry conversation is really um, setting up how your role could develop to help grow the business at large and eventually, you know, secure you a pay rise. Um, But it is important to know where the business is at financially and I guess how it's performed in the last fiscal because this determines the budget for the New Year's objectives, generally speaking, um, so that the better you understand the business's performance – And I guess industry trends, really important, um, and the roles of the future, I think the better position you're in to progress both professionally and financially, I think your age has nothing to do with your performance in the role. And if you're delivering results and adding value beyond your job description, I wouldn't even give it airtime. Next question, what to do when you're at a crossroads in your business, not sure where to focus your energy? 
Okay, I feel like this question is probably a good time for me to plant a little seed. Um, you might know, I think you do know, that I'm developing a new offering to complement the podcast. Um, and it's actually one that's going to help you think about this. Like you use the word energy and that's really the through way to building a successful business, the shape of the energy we bring and where we choose to put that energy. I mean, honestly, I can't wait to share more. I feel like that was just such an annoying tease um, and I don't mean it to be, but I I guess what I'm trying to say is I believe I can help you more fully through my new offering. So it would be a bit of a disservice if I tried to answer here. Next question, finding an idea I'm keen to work for myself as above. <laughs> back to the last question, back to my last answer. Um, next question, how to create learning opportunities for myself in a workplace where progression plan is not linear or immediately available? Well, I guess my advice here is firstly sharing that I'm not sure there's many businesses that truly know where they'll be in five years. Like if you think about the rapid advancements in technology and I guess just changing consumer behaviours, it's meant that sort of five and ten year strategies become almost redundant in year one or two. I think it's about being clear on the vision, and I've read this a lot, but being very flexible on the execution. So through that lens, I guess, how can we know what the roles are and how to get hired for them? I think that's my advice. Because I see, like, your situation doesn't feel ambiguous to me. It feels like an opportunity. Um, like, when I reflect on my time at Alua, I co-created every role I had beyond the one I entered in on. And I think that that's kind of what's required of us now is to be very future focused. Like, what are the problems, the problems excuse me, that businesses need to solve? What skill sets will be required? And then for you, like knowing what you're good at and what you could sort of offer the business um, and like what can only you do. And then if you did that thing, what would it solve for the business? Yeah, so like broadly, like how do you help it become more successful in its mission? I hope that's helpful. Um, i got a few more questions. Confidence to share online to build a profile to shine. So this comes up a lot in my coaching sessions. I think humble people and I guess the more quiet achievers among us have a hard time sort of selling ourselves online. I find it really hard, um, which is the, one of the reasons I'm actually covering this topic in my new offering. Another plug. Um, but I'll try and give you an answer here, um, or at least a short one. It comes down to having a deep understanding of your true self like who you are at your essence and then sharing from that authentic and I guess quite sacred space and place. Um, and I think that takes the commercial sort of veneer off, off building a profile and sharing what you believe you, you have to share. Um, yeah. Cause it's kind of like when the, when our online representation of us aligns with the true us, I think that's the goal. But more to come because I am, I am creating something that's going to help you think about that. 
Next question. I can't seem to move forward in my career. Do you think desperation plays into that? Yes. <laughs> um, I do think desperate energy has quite a low frequency. Um, and when we're operating at that frequency, nothing sort of high will find us. Does that make sense? Like energy attracts like-minded energy. So I think the thing to do here is like surrender um, and get very quiet so you can hear the universe's cues for what's next. Not saying that's easy, but that's my advice. Um, Second last question. How do you work with and manage a toxic, manipulative former colleague who is now a client? Gross. Um, I can relate. This has happened to me before. Um, Okay, so I'll start with saying like, you call them toxic, which I think is very valid. I call them deeply damaged. Um, and when a damaged person believes they hold power, I think it can feel quite frightening, like quite unpredictable and perhaps quite dark. So my advice to you is to take your attention off them. So it comes back to that flow of consciousness being your attention and what we give our attention to grows. Um So I guess it's similar to that narcissist question. Have mercy, very hard to do, um, but is the highest frequency thing we can do. Think of that person lovingly. Seek to lead them to higher ground when you have to interact with them. And then that's it. Take your awareness and intention off them, attention off them. um, And then just knowing that like we're the only ones who can control what gets to us and what doesn't. So I just wouldn't play down there energetically. Final question. Purpose. All of a sudden I feel stuck. Can you work on your purpose? Oh, sorry. Can your work and your purpose be aligned? At a career crossroads, how do I explore or find my passion? I actually rolled four questions into one for that. Um, And yeah, I'm going to leave on a high for me personally because I guess I hope Um, what I'm building helps you and I hope it makes you feel more peaceful and um, supported and internally explored and I guess externally expressed. Yeah, so when it comes to sort of purpose and work versus purpose and exploring or finding your passion, I'm you know, what I'm creating, I hope will help you think about that or maybe give you a new way to think about that. It's probably more accurate. Um, So that's it. Thank you for listening. Um, I was a bit out of breath in some of those. I hope um, the advice is um, helpful and I just want to say thank you and I adore you. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Offline. Visit getoffline.co to explore more episodes, the online courses I've created to help you succeed consciously, and upcoming community events. Follow getoffline.co on Instagram and me. My handle is Alison Larson Rice. Lastly, if you know someone who would benefit from hearing these honest conversations, please share offline with them.